2: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined this morning by C.J. Vogel, Bobby Burton, and Jerry Hamilton. Guys, tell us where you're checking in from. We love to see that, but it's National Signing Day, fellas. What does that
4: mean anymore in February? I don't know, but we're going to talk
2: about it. Yeah, It doesn't quite feel like the first National Signing Day by any stretch of the imagination, at least for Texas fans. But Stark does have a press conference coming up here in about three hours at 11 a.m. What are we expecting from that? If if anything, CJ, you're going to be the one that's there. What do you What are you thinking, bud?
0: Well, I'm excited to see how these how excited the coaching staff is for these guys to get on campus. Obviously, uh, there's been a number of new players added from the not only 24 class but the portal as well. So, getting an update there, and then obviously some news that. Uh, We talked about a little bit late last night that dropped from the Texas football uh, program that we're excited to hear about from Steve Sarkeesian himself. But uh, in regards to the 24 class, who's doing well on campus, hearing it from the big man himself and really just going back in time to how these uh, recruitments played out. I think that will be really interesting. And I'm hoping to hear some nuggets from uh, Steve Sarkeesian at 11 a.m. during his press conference. Yeah, let's
3: start. Let's talk a little bit about those player personnel moves. Uh, You know, Jerry and and Blake and, and CJ. Uh, what we what we've heard and what we what we had heard ended up becoming the truth, uh, and that's that Brandon Harris has been elevated to the general manager of the Texas football recruiting department. Uh, then also, John Michael Jones is now the director of player personnel. Uh, Taylor Searles is the director of recruiting, and then uh, Kylie Larson, I believe her last name is, is now the direct assistant director of recruiting. The interesting thing to he for for here and and that I think we need to talk about. This is not a GM in what would be the typical sense of a GM as it relates to the NFL or Major League Baseball. Take that out of your mindset. People were saying, oh, well, Jerry, Gary Patterson could be the GM or you know, some NFL executive. Could. That's not what he was hiring for. And that's not how Sark clearly envisions that position. He envisions this being a group of people overseeing just the recruiting aspect of... The, the the category right now, um, the football aspect is going to be built within his own uh, silo, I guess, is the best way to put it, uh, which is interesting. I, I do think it's good. Uh, CJ, you mentioned this last night on the live stream that Brandon Harris was elevated. I agree. I think it's good to see them keep things like this in house uh, when they have an opportunity and they've had success. Right. So it's not like if, if Texas sitting here with back to back you know, 35th ranked classes, it's a different story than, you know, trying to upset the apple cart over one person leaving in Billy Glasscock. And so I I think that uh, Sark's going to lean into that a little bit, give some younger guys an opportunity. Uh, We'll see uh, how, how that happens. Uh, But uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes.
4: Yeah, I think, uh, look, I I think the reality is if you were naming the, the positions at Texas Sark is the head coach and GM. Yes. If there's, a reason, if there's a reason he stays in college long-term, I think it's because he can be the head coach and GM of his own organization. Yes. I, so that's kind of the difference when you leave college and go to the NFL. You aren't the GM of your own organization. Sarkis is his, the head coach and GM. The assistant GM is Jeff Banks. That's the reality of Texas football right now, and they are running it extremely successful from high school recruiting Uh, to the portal. I mean, look, I know signing day is not as big of a deal in February anymore, but Texas, when the class rankings finalize here after Friday, Texas is going to have signed three straight top six classes. I'll let somebody go back and see the last time Texas has done that, Uh, but it's been a while. So three straight top six classes, and I put something out on on uh, ontexasfootball.com this morning. Eight players have left the program out of the 22 and 23 classes, and they were all in the 2022 class, right? So 53 players signed in those two classes, eight have left, Uh, 75 total signees, unless Sark pulls a rabbit out of his hat this morning, 75 uh, total signees over a three-class period, 47 in-state, 28 out-of-state. There's a lot of numbers I put into some stories on ontexasfootball.com, this morning but this this staff is doing a tremendous job um, and I know it's always it's always fun and interesting on our on our uh, the coffee and football every morning or our recruiting live streams longhorn live stream whatnot. Texas fans get a little anxious this time of the year because other teams may be loading up on more commitments but all we have to do is think about the 2022 2023, and twenty twenty four classes. Sark and these guys start turning up the heat late spring, headed in the June official visits, prior to those decisions senior year, and then they still recruit through the whistle on a lot of their top targets if they miss on some of those guys. Uh, so I, I expect a fourth straight top ten class. I'm, I'm not ready right now because rankings are going to adjust so much around the country and the industry. I'm not ready to say if it'll be four straight top six
3: classes. I think they have the momentum to get it done. Oh, I think they definitely have the momentum. That if you if you could categorize one thing right now about the University of Texas football program, the one word that might encapsulate it is momentum. I mean, frankly, uh, they've had a couple of uh, hits here: Billy Glasscock going to Ole Miss, uh, Jeff Choate uh, going over to uh, Nevada taking the head job, coaching job, Bo Davis uh, going on to LSU. But those are those are minor deals in the the grander scheme, in my opinion. Uh, the, the, the framework and structure that is in place, the personnel that Texas has on the field of play is in place. Um, those are the hard things, right? I mean, there are a lot of good, and I'm not trying to be rude to anybody, uh, or minimize what they do, but there are a lot of good defensive line coaches out there, Jerry. There are a lot of good linebacker coaches. Correct. There are a lot of good receiver. I mean, heck, there are a lot of good running back coaches, even though Tashar Choice is a great running back. I mean, there are a lot of those guys. Yes. There aren't a lot of teams that have eight to ten draft picks every year. That's that's, right. that's where the real uh, rubber hits the road. In my and, and, Bobby,
4: to add to that, where we're at in college football right now, uh, uh, Texas fans in the comment section, name the schools. How many schools would you say right now in college football, with today's day and age of college football NIL portal, have the ability to recruit top 10 classes every year, and also hit home runs in the portal. Go ahead and name those schools. There's not a lot, but Texas is one of them. By the way, I had a comment on the shirt, man. It got a little on Texas football Nike polo made. Gave a little test run here, putting it on use on the road this week. Got to get CJ guys hooked up with these. But I kind of gave it a test run. I think they did a great job with it. uh, down at Fully Remembered uh, in the Houston area where I get some stuff done. So I'm excited to put these on the road this week. I
3: you, you mentioned being on the road. You were at Zion Williams, and I read the report yesterday, and you and I talked a little off-camera, Jerry, about that. That's the big defensive tackle out of Lufkin. Give us the latest there. You went to, to Lufkin High yesterday to see him.
4: Yeah, you know, well, first off, if you haven't read the article on TexasFootball.com, go over there. He is one of the funniest <laughs> recruits I've dealt with. Um He's a, he's a kid who was in theater, right? He's a well-rounded 6'4", 325-pound defensive tackle with an 18-shoe, 82-inch <laughs> wingspan, and I don't even know what he benches, but it's a lot, right? I mean, in squats, it's a lot. It's well over 500 on the squat, and it's well over 300 on the bench. Um, and I, when I say he has an 18 shoe, I'm talking like 18 wide, wide shoe. I, was, I think I could fit two of my 13s in his 18.
3: And, and that sounds like the typical theater kid to me. Just for the
4: yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it was so funny uh, when I was talking to him because, you know, I look, there's four schools that he's going to officially visit. And he told me this yesterday, Texas, LSU. AM and TCU. And, and TCU has Jamarcus McFarland, who I know we're going to get into some recruiting stories later in this show. Obviously, Jamarcus McFarlane for Texas and OU fans is probably a top five in the in my 20 plus years doing this. Um, but Jamarcus McFarlane, distant relative. He was at TCU last weekend. I still think at the end of the day, he wants to play in the SEC. I think right now Texas and LSU are probably in front of AM, and that's to be expected. New staff at AM, right? Um, but I thought it was funny. He just he had some great kind of one and two liners yesterday. Uh, what he, I'll start with what he said about Kenny Baker, his meeting last Wednesday with Kenny Baker, which was interesting. He said that recruiting pitch was different. He said he fired off just rapid-fire questions, and he could see his hand moving, but he never really broke eye contact with him. And then he looks down, and he had written down all these answers to the rapid-fire questions. And he said he asked them so fast, he thinks he did it on purpose not to give him time to really process and think about it, but just get immediate responses, immediate responses. And I thought that was kind of interesting. That's different. Um, then what he said, kind of what he said about Elko kind of made me laugh. He he, he thought he looked like Alvin, uh, the uncle from Alvin and the Chipmunks, which kind of made me laugh. He didn't mean that in a mean way. He said, that was just the first thing I thought of for whatever reason. Uh, but I think Elko made a good impression on him. Sean Spencer brought some energy uh, when uh, the AM staff was through Lufkin. The meeting with Sark was really good. Uh, you can read about what he said about Sark because uh, Zion said the question he's learned to ask through this recruiting process if I committed to you right now on the spot, how would you uh, help me uh, be part of the culture, uh, get me transition into the culture of your school and the community of your school? And Steve Sar- Sarkisian told him, You know, look, he'd want to get him out to meet people in the community, do community service, be involved with more than just the University of Texas. And he liked the answer. Um, I think Bo Davis has had a longest-term relationship with him of any D-line coach, and he went to LSU January 20th. Even though he's from Lufkin, and he wears purple and yellow on Friday nights, that was the first time he'd ever been to LSU. And what he said was what a lot of these Texas kids say about LSU kind of reminding them of the Piney Woods. It's like they he felt like he never left the Piney Woods. So that's close to home factor with LSU. Um, that that will help LSU in that relationship with Bo Davis. But this is one of the good be one of the fun recruitments in 2025 cycle because it's A&M with the new staff, Texas with Sark and the new D-line coach, Bo Davis now at LSU, and then TCU with Jamarcus McFarlane, the family collection all converging on Lufkin High School, who's put out a number of college and NFL players for one of the top D tackles in the country.
3: I thought the part about Kenny Baker and uh, writing down what, what uh, exactly Zion Williams had to say was interesting. It's yep. a little different, right? It's yep. it's different than what we hear overall. Uh, all right, I need to say thank you and want to say thank you to our sponsor of each and every Wednesday morning. Uh, that's Adam Lowy of the Lowy Law Firm. Uh, Adam and his group, have been helping injured Texans for a couple of decades now uh, in the Austin area. Give him a shout or visit him online. LowyLawFirm.com. That's LowyLawFirm.com. They'll give you a free consultation. It's absolutely free. Uh, If you've been injured in a car wreck, truck wreck, motorcycle accident, any of the above, and think you might be due compensation, they'll give you a free consultation to let you know what's what. Uh, Again, reach out to him at LowyLawFirm.com. Adam, thank
2: you very much for your continued support of coffee and football in the morning. All right, guys. One of the things that we need to talk about, not necessarily Texas-related but could affect Texas, is Mike Elston, the defensive line coach from Michigan, leaving. What's y'all's thoughts?
0: Well, it's another domino coming out of Ann Arbor that's headed to the NFL. It certainly could have a bigger impact down the road. Maybe not so much now, obviously. Uh, The window for Michigan's uh, players to enter the portal after Jim Harbaugh left closes uh, February 23rd. I'm not necessarily expecting a whole lot of movement right now. Obviously, we're Getting into the weeds of the, the semester currently, but that is now a lot of uh, attrition from a coaching staff in which most of the big talented players are on the defensive side of that ball. That is where a lot of those guys came and and left from Michigan to the Chargers. Uh, Elson specifically uh, was in charge of one of the best defensive lines in all of college football and has a number of uh, the top prospects returning for the 2024 season on roster right now at Michigan. You talk about uh, Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham; Those are two of the guys that could probably walk in and start at just about any program in the country. Uh, with him departing for the NFL, a lot of movement could come later in the spring. We're looking at that April 15th and through 30th window as a, a potential time period in which we'll see some names enter the portal. Again, Michigan is in the middle of their semester, as are most of the schools around the country. So you don't expect a whole lot of movement right now, but that extra uh portal window certainly gets a little bit more interesting in terms of who might enter the portal and who might depart from that Michigan team. So what CJ's essentially saying is if
4: uh collectives that have the ability are getting their money cannon ready if either of those guys enter the portal. <laughs> Uh, Hey, Uh, that's
3: getting that right now. Last night, night, I'm just going to be blunt. Last night, I compared the combo of Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham to the combo of Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. They're that good. They're two of the top five, six, seven defensive linemen in the country. Both of them together on one team. (laughs) And let's
4: talk about Mason Graham a little bit. And we're not – look, these guys have to enter the portal, right? They haven't done that yet. Um, but let's talk about Mason Graham's an Anaheim Servite guy. So, look, Sarkeesian, Johnny Nansen, there's a lot of experience recruiting that school on the Texas staff if he were to uh, enter the portal. A lot of connections over there. We'll see what happens.
2: Going to be interesting. Okay, y'all, well, we have some questions going back to some of the stuff that we've already discussed, so I want to jump back over there uh, for just a moment here, but going back to the personnel changes, Bobby, we're going to let you answer this one here. Vivek wants to know about Brandon Harris. He says, do you really think he's that great? He's genuinely asking. What's your thoughts on Harris?
3: You know, uh, Brandon has been a positive in the Texas recruiting department for a while, so I I think that me evaluating him is not as important as Steve Sarkeesian evaluating him. Uh, that that's the first thing I would say, and I would I would caution anybody that tries to under uh, undercut that. Sark's been around him for three plus years now. When Bo Davis uh, was side, or you know, went to LSU, he elevated Brandon Harris to go on the road. That that shows a level of trust. I mean, it's not unlike Tom Herman trusting Brian Carrington. And Carrington's now an assistant at Arizona State. So when coaches do that, they see something in a guy that they want to elevate. Now, whether you agree with every single thing he does or whatever, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. What does matter is he feels like he's the guy to lead that group. Uh, I would say this and this is this is the other piece that people just are gonna have a hard time understanding. This is not a college football GM. This is a college football recruiting GM. There is a difference. The, the GM is Steve Sarkeesian, right? He handles it. What go, Everything goes through him. It's not like there's different silos in the NFL where the GM handles the draft and the coach handles the coaching. That's not what it is. Sark oversees the coaching and the draft for Texas. But. It's just, it's almost like the special teams coordinator is Jeff Banks. Well, the recruiting coordinator, this is actually the term that I would use for it instead of GM, is the recruiting coordinator. Very, I, I'm happy for Brandon actually. And uh, I think it's, uh, you know, moving up. He's a younger guy, uh, not as old as some of the other guys in the business. So I, I'm happy for him and, and uh, look forward to see what he can do. Is it a great hire? I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, but I think you have to trust Steve Sarkeesian. He's the bit one that's been around him every single day for the last three years. Hey, followed.
4: by the way, somebody in the comments section had a Greg Cicero reference from Anaheim. Servite. I, I think Bobby Greg Cicero. From, I mean, man, that's. I think is he the only guy that's from Servite that signed with Texas? I, at least in my years, no. Know?
3: Brandon uh, Healy. Oh, that's right. From Servite. Healy, the wide receiver. Wow, that this this that's like.
2: What, late, late 1990s? I'm trying. <laughs> All right, Bobby, then we got one other one for you from Glenn Keller. It says, I have no idea who John Michael Jones is. Can you elaborate and give me some more information? Yeah, John Michael Jones has been with Texas,
3: I think, through three different coaches now. I, think I mean, right. so he, he's he got a, a, good, a good resume and has been uh, with the team for a 10 plus years or right at 10 years. I can't, I don't know the exact number. Uh, but he is a guy that's always been kind of in the background. He started off as an assistant, uh, as a student, I believe. He's a graduate of the University of Texas uh, and has been a guy that's kind of worked himself up the, the ladder. Not unlike you do at most companies, right? You just take one rung next, do a good job, try to go to the next rung, et cetera. That's what he's done. And I'm really happy for him. One of the things I, I'll tell you right now, Bob Shipley is going to join us here at uh, in, in a couple of minutes. Bob and John Michael Jones worked together at Texas and Bob and John Michael were two of the guys that really got the Texas walk-on program started. Um, And what I mean by that is, and I'll ask Bob about this. I remember having a conversation with Bob 10, 15 years ago when he was talking about this, he goes, man, I would go to these games when Jordan and Jackson were playing and the Texas walk-ons didn't look like the Oklahoma walk-ons. They didn't look like the Kansas walk-ons. They looked like they were skinny and short, and and that's no offense to former Texas walk-ons at all. It's just you could tell those other teams were recruiting players to be walk-ons. And Texas at the time hadn't been doing that. Um, John Michael Jones is one of the guys that helped architect that with Bob Shipley uh, to where now you see guys that are preferred walk-ons, and a guy like Michael Taft may never have been a Longhorn. Jet Bush may never have been a Longhorn. And Bert Auburn may never have been a Longhorn. So think about those three guys, and they they did play a role. And now they're not necessarily uh, Auburn. I guess could be considered an NFL prospect. But my point being, those are guys that played a heavy role. And without the walk on program, they they probably wouldn't have been at Texas. They would maybe would have been at Baylor or Texas Tech or Texas A and M. Texas A and M for years had better walk ons than Texas.
2: Okay, we have a couple of super chats that we need to read before uh, Coach Shipley comes on. This first one from UT Boy. He says Jerry Hamilton was the biggest addition. Hook he's, he's clearly talking about my stomach.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, I, this, last I, time I people saw I, you, you were at Terry Black's getting like putting all the all of the uh, brisket in your stomach that you, a man could possibly keep, uh, and then you went and got banana pudding. My cycling I mean, bike's been lonely. Wrong
4: with that. It's time, it, it, my cycling bike's been lonely for months. It's time we get reacquainted this <laughs> spring.
2: Then we have a uh, super chat from Colton. He says this is golf related, but this stat blew my mind this morning, Jerry. This one's for you. From oh, 99 yeah. to 2009, Tiger Woods had a 34 percent chance of winning and only a 32 percent chance of finishing ninth or worse. I,
4: I for people that aren't golf fans, I don't think. They will ever understand this, but in my life, watching sports, working in sports, covering sports, I've never seen, and this includes Michael Jordan, anybody in my lifetime, I've never seen anybody dominate their sport like that guy did. Unbelievable to watch. I mean, the the greatest sporting um, victory of all time is winning a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach by 15 shots, where you're the only person under par. That guy did something at a level even Michael Jordan couldn't touch there for a while. Um, it, it, it was unbelievable at the, in golf that you had that chance to win every time you teed it up. And the, the, the best thing for Tiger was when he showed up, everybody else knew it too. A lot of guys were defeated before it ever started.
3: I love that.
4: That, <laughs> is, that is domination. If there's 150 people in a field, 135 of them say, mm, I don't have a chance this week, but I'm going to make some good money if I finish fourth.
3: Well, you know what that reminds me of, though? It's like my one of my favorite Larry Bird stories. You know, he goes into the locker room of the three point contest. And which one are you guys going to get second? That's it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, by the way, no pressure, Steph Curry. But the NBA All-Star game, it's now the top shooter in the WNBA versus Steph Curry.
3: Oh, is it really? They're doing that?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Ski Breck said it was unbelievable. Led the Tiger proofing courses, and I and I'll and I I totally agree with this. And my last comment on golf was, we need to talk Texas basketball, okay? Uh, <laughs> Oof, uh, but <laughs> Tigers' domination at the Masters led to them putting in trees up and down the right side of fairways on a number of holes, down in those landing areas off the tee box. Uh, that really his domination of the masters caused them and you people call it tiger proofing uh, augusta national to a certain extent because i think they think thought this guy's going to win it every year if he can just hit power fade uh with no penalty um that led to changing augusta national and making right handers have to draw it more off a 13 or hit three wood and take away that advantage on a couple other holes as well it it forced right handed players to hit draws off the tee it, it like it's like Shaq brought zone defense to the NBA. Tiger, they had the Tiger-proof courses, to ski Brett's point. And by, by the way, on basketball, look, I, I'll make it real quick. Max Ace will have about three games where he misses wide-open jumpers. It just so happened last night was one of them, and that exasperated all the other issues. But I, I'm going to say one thing I've been talking about all year since last year. Tyrese Hunter, just he has not gotten better in the areas he needs to get better at Texas since he's been there. And that's through two coaches, by the way, not one. That guy's going to have to get a floater in his game eventually. At some point in his basketball life, playing overseas, whatever he does. He's going to have to get a floater. He continually gets too deep and gets in tough positions as a six-foot guard. And 0 for 8 with zero points in 33 minutes is going to get your butt beat against a good team. Bottom line. He's got to expand his game offensively. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen while he's at Texas because it hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah, against his former team, too. That's,
3: geez. yeah, that, that game, that final score is a little deceiving um, for those that watched it, in my opinion. So, uh, okay. let, let me ask y'all this. And we're talking about recruiting and stuff. Uh, Bob Shipley is going to join us hopefully in a little bit. He may be having some uh, internet problems, it sounds like, from Abilene, Texas. Um, hey, I, question for you, Jerry and, and CJ. We're, we're sitting here on the precipice of National Signing Day. Actually, there are some things going on today. Terry Bussey uh, at uh, Tempson is going to decide between LSU and Texas A&M. He's been committed to A&M. Do you think he's going to flip to LSU, Jerry? Ryan Williams is going to sign with Alabama, we still believe. But it's just a totally different – I want to talk about some of our best recruiting stories. Oh, so yeah. This one first from AJJ Sports. Um, do you guys expect – you and CJ expect Bussy to flip the LSU?
0: Have you all heard anything uh, lately on that? I've heard nothing too crazy as of late. I know he was up at uh, uh, the Under Armour game and as, as well in Polynesian uh, Bowl out in Hawaii right afterwards. Uh, LSU was the one that had a lot of steam. a you know, AM's trying to keep him in – in the fold, but it feels like over the last month or two it's been, you know, how, how how soon is he going to depart from that AM class? It's kind of been that vibe, but uh it, I have given you know Elko the benefit of the doubt to hold on to him. But for me, I feel like he will be moving on and, and headed out to uh L S U. What do you think, Jerry? L S U or AM? You know, I don't
4: I don't have a great feel on that one. I've kind of passed that one off. Um so I, I don't have a great feel on that one. The feeling or the feeling in early mid-january was lsu uh, especially based on talk to somebody talking to somebody uh, close to lSU program we'll see though i mean that that was that gave a m some time for two weeks to kind of make up some ground but i think uh i, I think Busy was liking the idea of the lSU offense more but we'll see what happens today
2: Okay, guys. Well, Bob Shipley, I think, is ready to join us. So I'm going to bring Coach John in. And Coach Shipley, how you doing this morning? Hey, what's going on, guys? I
1: sure, sure as heck hope we ain't going to talk about golf anymore. Because no!
2: no, I got that out of the way
4: before before we before I could ask how your game is. Hey,
1: <laughs> hey, 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 I got to ask the
4: first question on this because today's signing day, and I've never got got an answer from anybody that could have the answer because Bobby was talking about ta- uh, talking about some recruiting stories. So when Colt came out of high school, if Ryan Paraloo had stuck with Texas, was Colt going to LSU? I don't think so. Okay. Because, because that, that was kind of the big, we're talking about old recruiting stories, right? And one of the things that was late, Bobby, if, if you guys remember in that cycle was if Paraloo had stuck with Texas, was Colt going to flip the LSU?
1: I I don't think so. I think, since uh, Jordan and Colt were little. They had talked about doing this, and I don't think there was anything that was going to change change his mind uh, about mm-hmm. that. I mean, you know, at the time, 170-pound quarterback out of Tuscola, he was a long shot anyway. Yeah. Might, as well, might as well go be with my best buddy, you know, and uh, live it up a little bit in Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw uh, the interesting uh, interview a couple of days ago that Colt did about, after the national championship game, he realized, Oh my gosh, it's been kind of fun. You get caught up in all the hoopla. I got to go to work and I am not sure, I'm not sure I can do this, you know, to the <laughs> level that Vince just did it in, in the uh, Rose bowl. So um, anyway, I, I think that's a whole nother story. I, I, I have uh, feelings about these small school guys coming in with a chip on the shoulder and really probably not, uh, wise enough at that point in their life to realize really what they're up against and the odds of them actually making it on the field just making it on the field at the University of Texas much less having your jersey retired I mean come on who? I mean nobody would have put money even Colt's dad wouldn't have put money on that but uh, anyway it's a great hey,
3: story Hey coach thanks for joining us again here on Coffee and Football I had a question for you as well Um, Going back in your days, you've gone through recruiting as a coach, as a player you were recruited, I think, to Abilene Christian, right? Uh, Then you've had numerous players recruited. You've had your own kids recruited. What are some of the – give me one or two stories about recruiting that you just think are just kind of shine a light on how crazy the, the whole idea of it can be at times.
1: Well, it's much more civilized now. You know, back in the day before you had the rules that you had, (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh we've all heard about those stories. Uh coaches, you know, hanging out trying to trying to keep a kid uh from, from being signed. Coaches can actually I, apparently go out on signing day and sign them. So I've heard I've heard all those stories. You know, the funniest uh I I, I don't have any great stories, any personal stories. Uh the, the funniest one though is when well, I, I can't even remember who it was, but he's doing a live announcement. He announces a school his mother didn't want him to go to. She starts beating him over the head with something <laughs> on, on live TV. La- La-
4: that's Landon Collins at the Under Armour game. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, that what... I
1: think that's it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. The, the mom was pro, 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 pro LSU, and Landon was pro going to BAM and playing for Nick.
3: Hey, it let worked out for you, him. Let me ask you one name uh, that. Before Mac Brown was a great recruit, was kind of great recruiter. I'll take you back down memory lane. Barry Switzer was known as the best recruiter in the Southwest, right? What What were some of the things you heard about Barry Switzer back in the day that, that might be eye opening for people today?
1: Well, you know, that's that's another good question. And I don't have an answer to that, unfortunately, because back when Barry was still at Oklahoma, I wasn't uh, a head coach and didn't really have anybody recruiting. I I heard he could, he could sell anything to anybody. Uh, But I, I, unfortunately I don't have any, I don't have any great stories about him. Just what we've all read, you know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. The best one on Barry Switzer that I heard was this. He literally coached, uh, he was recruiting a guy and he and his assistant coach we're saying uh, they the guy was in a row house and the assistant coach said, okay, you ready to go? in?" he goes, no, drive around back. I want to see the whole house. He drove around back and he looked in the guy's garbage can out back. And he looked and there was nothing but pearl beer cans, <laughs> little pearl beer cans in the, in the, uh, in the, in the trash sack. And said, Barry Smith says, okay, now it's time to go in. We can go in. So he go, drives around front. They knock on the door. And the dad answers. The son is there. He's trying to get this guy. You can't even – can't remember the name of the player he was recruiting. But the dad said, Coach Switzer, you want anything to drink? And he said, nothing but a pearl. You got a pearl? <laughs> that's good recruiting. That's that doing, sounds, that's that's doing your homework right. there, bud. <laughs> I, I, I,
4: a couple of things. Zadiki Cornel, Cornelis, I think, said Copeland, the wide receiver from Pensacola, choosing Florida was, was the funniest. I was part of that. I was ESPN Under Armour game at the the time. That was probably the saddest thing. It was funny, but also sad. The mom left off the ESPN stage during the announcement because the kid picked Florida. That's where recruiting got a little overboard at times uh, with the mom just walking out on her son's announcement. That was sad. But I got to put Bobby Bobby on the spot here. Do we believe the old tell that – Texas had hit Leonard Davis out for a couple of nights at a hotel so RC couldn't find him before
3: signing day. No, that's not what happened. Randy Rogers told me about this, Bob okay. and, and Jerry. Uh, Randy Rogers uh, was the recruiting coordinator at Texas. He was responsible for recruiting Leonard Davis uh, to Texas, even though he wasn't the offensive or defensive line coach. Um, he told me that he and Miss Davis had a plan. This is back on the day of old landlines, right? right. Uh, and The plan was is that at four o'clock in the afternoon, Miss Davis was going to put the phone in the drawer and just keep the phone off the hook so Leonard wouldn't know that nobody called the night before. Yeah. (laughs) And Brady said, you know, I trusted her and I trusted her. And then I called the phone at 9:30. And it was that fast, busy signal you get when somebody left the phone off the hook. And he goes, I got him. We got him. That was his initial reaction. Uh <laughs> that was one. Hey, Bob, I want to ask you this. John Michael Jones is a guy that you used to work with, uh, elevated yesterday by Steve Sarkeesian, uh, to the director of player personnel. It's my understanding, you and John Michael were kind of, I don't want to say the architects, I guess, but two people that really put a lot of emphasis on improving the walk-on program at Texas. Can you speak a little to a little bit of that and maybe a, a little bit to John Michael Jones, the new
1: Yes. I'm sorry. i got the sun coming through my window here. I'm a a zebra today. Um, i tell you what, I I have all the respect in the world for John Michael In 2013, we hired him as a student worker. Uh, when, uh, Mac was there when I was brought in as an analyst and, um, Mac, uh, didn't have any idea who he was, didn't care. And uh, John Michael was just a kid that grew up in Houston, went to a private school. Uh, funny story about him is what uh, a few days after we were there, uh, he said, hey, I want you to look at this kid and uh, tell me what you think about him. So he put on this film and I'm going, oh, man, this kid's got a lot to learn. I mean, he's trying to show me this kid. I said, I wouldn't let that kid play on my flag football team. I said, this is ridiculous. I, you know, if, if you're going to be in this business, you're going to have to learn how to. And he just died laughing. Said, "Coach, that was me. I just wanted to see what you thought. <laughs> what you thought about me as a player? I was, well, I wouldn't have been quite so harsh and so honest had I known that was you. But uh, I wouldn't let that guy play on my flag football team. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, he's he's like a lot of us, you know. He wasn't a very good player, so he just uh, uh, joined in uh, football program and contributed the best he could. And as a recruiter." I'll tell you another good story. We were, uh, you were right. I was uh, in charge of the walk-on program and John Michael had always taken an interest in that. Um, And when I came back in 2017, uh, John Michael and I were brainstorming. uh, You know, it's just the the biggest problem in getting a walk-on at UT is they have to get in school on their own merit. People don't realize that. You know, there used to be a day where you could call, you know, the admissions office and there was a, uh, you know, somebody maybe that could help you get a kid in. Uh, Certainly, since uh, you remember the big scandal back in, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, where we actually had a lawsuit filed against the board. Uh, Anyway, over over admissions. And so uh, a walk on, they have to get in. They have to be admitted into UT on their own academic merit. So that cuts. I mean, so how do you go about it's a needle in a haystack. How do you go about going across the state and the country trying to find guys, first of all, who are who are good enough to contribute in in some way, even if it's a scout team. But uh, more so than that, one that can get into school. And so John Michael said, I've got an idea. He said, "Uh, let, let me work on it. So he comes back. That was uh, on a Friday. He comes back on a Monday, and he's got this incredible list of athletes. And I said, "Where did you come up with this list?" And this is just the way that he thinks. He's outside the box. He's—I've I've probably told you the story before, Bobby. But he—he he went and looked on Twitter and Instagram and uh, all the coaches and all the Ivy League coaches, all the Service Academy coaches. He went on their accounts. He found all the kids, high school kids that were coming up. Uh, that were going to be seniors that they were following because obviously they have a lot of uh, staff that goes combs through these kids academically. And so he had to, he had to assume that a coach from army or air force Academy or Yale or Harvard wasn't going to follow a kid unless he was academically strong enough to at least be considered to get into school. And I thought that was ingenious, you know. I mean, I, I would have never thought of that. So we had a recruiting list. So we started actively recruiting those, those players that uh, before uh, the way it was done, unfortunately, was uh, you would just tell kids, hey, just apply, and if you get in, let me know. Well, that's, of course, that. I mean, we didn't have good walk-ons because that's, that wasn't a way to do it. There wasn't much effort put into it, but when John Michael came up with that plan, um, it really opened the doors up for us to get some good walk-ons uh, in here. Jet Bush is one of those guys that, that, that was in that list of players that he found. Um, and so then we started actively recruiting players like Jet Bush and other guys and giving them tickets to come to games. And, uh, you know, they didn't get to spend time with, you know, the head coaches or anything, and they didn't have, you know, the prettiest hosts that showing them around. But, hey, they got to come to a UT game. <laughs> you know, and tour the facilities and feel like they were wanted. And so uh, I just, uh, when he did that, that just blew my mind. And I, I just thought, wow, this guy is is really sharp and will figure out, figure out a way to get things done. And so I've always been a fan of his. He's a tireless worker. And, um, you know, again, he's not the guy that's going to be the face of recruiting uh, in terms of, you know, when kids get on campus, but – uh, certainly going out and finding kids and, and managing the roster. He's uh, was, was great at that and helping me with our tryout. We had a tryout every year for kids on campus that wanted to come walk on. And um, he would go through those kids and he would uh, really go back and watch their high school tape and, uh, you know, make recommendations uh, on the spots we were going to possibly offer those guys. So uh, I just think the world of me is very humble and, you uh, you know, I worked with Brandon too. I was, I think, you know, Brandon originally was going to be, uh, you know, was pursuing coaching and uh, apparently it got to the point, especially when NIL and things came out, he kind of fit in, he kind of found a niche where he fit in and, and just thought, you know, this is probably my best shot at getting, you know, a big time job uh, sooner than coaching. And he just was, was started out with the conception of NIL and just, you know, he's very involved in that and has moved, moved into that role and uh, managing uh, things within the program outside of coaching. And it's been a great fit. And he's a very likable young man. He's very outgoing, uh, enthusiastic, um, just kind of a guy that finds a way to get things done. So I'm proud of both of those guys. I think, uh, you know, uh, Taylor, uh, Searles, you know her. Her dad was the line coach uh, when I came in in 2013. Um, I think he's at uh, Georgia now. I think he is. is. They won't.
4: They won't be able to talk for one week this season. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. But she's she's an awesome job. I've known her since she was in high school, and um, used to go to church with him. And uh, anyway, that's a great. She she certainly knows the sacrifice that goes in uh, to being a college football staffer uh, being raised in a, a family like that. So, um, anyway, I think it's a good move. I think, uh, that there's, you don't have to, there's no adjustment time for these people coming in, you don't have to learn the ropes. They already know what's going on. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Bobby, I, you know, trust the man. I mean, the, I mean, if, if Sark's going to make this move, uh, he's made, he's made, not saying every decision he's ever made, he's been perfect, but, but he's watched these guys. He's been, with some of the best there is in the business, he knows what he's looking for, and apparently those all of those folks brought something to the table that he liked and appreciated enough to, to, in essence, when you're making decisions like that, you're kind of putting your career on the line, you know, with these because those are important spots, and he believes in him enough, and that's that's enough for me, but it just helps with you know having worked with with them before, uh, knowing knowing what it's like behind behind the scenes. Uh, I'm 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 fired up. Based on what you said, Coach, it feels like to me that
4: J.M. Jones is going to be great at keeping this thing organized for Sark. Uh, and to with as much as on is on a plate of a, a college Power Five blue blood head coach nowadays, having the organization uh, have people that keep the whole thing organized it may be the most important. Aspect that we don't talk about enough. We talk about the players coming into the school, the coaching decisions, who's playing, all that. But having great organization, I think, right now, has never been more important in college football with the crazy recruiting calendar, portal calendar, headed to a 12-team playoff. If they keep the December signing period, I mean just think about how much is on the plate of a head coach nowadays and a staff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And turning turning things over to people that you trust is it's not easy, certainly not easy. But the thing that I like about John Michael, I, Bobby again, I, I think I shared this story with you. I I used to always brag on JM when I was working there because I appreciated what he did, and I always felt like you give credit where credit's due. And he said, Coach, he came in and said, Coach, stop doing that. I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care about getting credit for anything. I just want to freaking win. I just want to win. That's all I want to do is just win. I don't care who gets the credit. And again, that's just that's just another one of those things that you appreciate, and admire about the guy. He's behind the scenes; and doesn't want to be in the spotlight. Doesn't care about that stuff. I Actually, talked to him yesterday. I said, "When are they going to release this?" And he goes, "I don't. I don't care. I don't know. I've got my <laughs> stuff together. We're we're working. Uh, the staff's gone on vacation, and he's working." So, he's uh, <laughs> I, I that- it, it, look. This is the a,
3: a picture of people behind the scenes uh, that that make things go that you'll never. They're they're the faceless army, right? That that uh, people don't realize are working, and they're everybody just sees the duck above the water. They don't see the duck below the water. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, that, that's kind of how that works. Uh, Coach Shipley, I, I really appreciate you joining us. I had a couple other questions for you uh, as it relates to recruiting. I um, thought I'm going to try to block this sun. Yeah,
1: how about right.
3: that? There you go, Coach.
1: That ain't going to work. I ain't going to be able to hold that up.
3: No, hey, the, what I want to ask you is this, as it relates to recruiting and whatnot. You, you remember the days of the, the fax machine, et cetera, the, the excitement inside the building. Tell people, try to translate what that meant when you were in there and y'all got a big commitment and everybody was high five and that sort of thing. Is that, is that really true? Is that how it, that whole day feels when you're inside the building?
1: Well, yes, it is. It is true, uh, but it, it's gotten to the point now that I think, you you know, uh, well, before the early signing date and all those things, there, there were some anxious moments, of course. But, uh, you know, the coaches always made sure that, you know, the head coaches didn't want to surprise whether it was, you know, Mac or Charlie or Tom, whoever it was. Uh, was in signing date with all those guys and you, you didn't want a surprise of course. And, uh, but you know, there, you knew there was going to be some guys coming in, but, but when, uh, and I can't think of any specific guys uh, we were waiting on till the very end, but when it, there were a couple of guys that we were concerned about. And when it, when it comes in, you're just like, yes, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's exciting. And, and other times it's, it's kind of boring. You know, and unfortunately, I was sitting in on a staff meeting on signing day where it was a little too boring and uh, Coach Herman started telling stories and uh, I was sitting behind him. If you, if, you, if you Google the picture of the double bird uh, signing <laughs> day, I'm, I'm sitting right behind him. I, I'll always be in that picture. And uh, it was interesting because we had we had the TV, we had the big screen, you know, shooting uh, Longhorn Network on our, in our staff room. And there was a little camera up in the corner. We all knew the camera was there, but it was there was a commercial on, and so coach is telling this story, you know. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, he just in, in the story he's he's, which had nothing to do with signing date or anything. It was just an off the walls. He was just killing time, telling a funny story. And uh, anyway, <laughs> and then uh, so he does that. About ten seconds later, I just said, "Oh." crap, you know, look, he goes, what, look up there. And it was, cause I knew it, I could see what was going on. It was fixing to come and it wasn't, it wasn't pretty in there uh, after that. But uh, anyway, that, that's my um, embarrassing signing day moment. You'll always, be,
3: you'll always be there in the background of one of the more notorious coaching pictures of the university. Of I,
1: I, I'm like, you know, Hey, a camera is a loaded gun. I mean, don't mess around with the camera that's on you all the time. but sometimes they lull you to sleep, you know, because we got security cameras everywhere now, and you just kind of forget about them. But they're a loaded gun. Woo, that wasn't fun.
3: <laughs> all right, Coach. Wait, thanks for joining us this morning, uh, man. We'll see you tomorrow on uh, Football Theory with Rod Babers. Uh, you guys will be talking about a couple of different things, probably a little bit of recruiting as well. Jerry. Uh, Bob Shipley. Thank you, coach. I really appreciate yeah, you. thanks. Day, hey,
1: Jerry, Good to see you, buddy. All uh, right. Good to see you. <laughs> thank you, man.
3: See you coach. Thanks Bob. That's Bob Shipley. Good stuff there guys. Hey, hey, Blake, uh, your, your thoughts and where you want to take this next. I mean, we've got a lot of different uh, topics we can go over. There's signing day. There's the Michigan coaching, uh, situation that, that transpired last night. We can talk a little bit more about Brandon Harris. And J.M. Jones, wherever the the chat wants to take us, let's let's go there and talk about it. Can I yep.
4: can I bring up a topic? Oh, I, I want everybody's thoughts. Give a couple of guys out of the 24 class, and I, it it may be easier. Seventeen guys are on campus. Seventeen early enrollees. Give me two or three guys. Y'all think are gonna hit the field next year and make an impact on an experienced football team? I think it's a great conversation today on signing day uh, with the 2024 class. Because as we we've talked about it, 21 players, but the potential starters or guys I have penciled in as starters have started a power five game. Twenty-one guys. So this freshman class, if somebody breaks in this year, guys, that's a pretty
3: good sign for how the level of talent they have. I'm going so so define the question a little bit better here. So two or three guys. That we think are going to be guys for Texas this year. Yep. Right. And, and,
4: and in the, in the comment
3: section, bring your guys as well. Uh, I'm going Ryan. I think this is good stuff. Ryan Wingo. I like that. I, I'm going with him. Uh, Michael Kern is an obvious one. I'm going to take the easy way out and pick the punter until they sign a punter. Right. And then I'm going to go Xavier Filsamy. Oh, bus,
4: somebody's saying stuck with a by the way. What's that? Somebody's reporting Bussie stuck with
0: AM. Good for them. Yeah, that's a big lick. Yeah. I like Phil Samir a lot. I think he's a guy that you might see a, a, a lot on special teams in a role that we saw. Ray Wisner excel at, you know, running up the field on, on, on punts, on kickoffs. You know, that speed is going to allow him to get on the field earlier than you will uh, see with most freshman defensive backs. So I'm excited to see him. And it also looks like he's been filled out for – uh, physically for a while. I mean, there's still room to grow there, but he certainly isn't lacking the the necessary muscle to get back onto the field. So I'm excited to see what he brings. He's probably in that top tier. I'll actually have a an article here after uh, we we finish Coffee and Football, kind of giving an idea of how I view these guys in terms of readiness for the field wide, right away, and also when to expect them, uh, in my eyes at least, uh, becoming big contributors for Texas. So uh, I, I'll spoil it just a little bit. And I'll, Xavier Phil Smith, for me, was in my top tier 100%. We had somebody bring up the name Aaron
4: Butler, which I think is interesting because, look, I didn't have a chance to talk uh, about Aaron Butler with you guys. And I'm not saying he's going to be an impact freshman, but I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on Aaron Butler. Short space quickness, after the catch, shiftiness, that guy's very high end. If he develops the rest of the wide receiver nuances – He's going to be a guy that will be looked back back upon in this class. We didn't know much about him as far as the Texas fans because it happened so late. But golly, is this guy a really good player. I, I think he's got a lot of ability. Look, I want to say one other thing about Aaron Butler. If you come out of Calabasas, California, and you are talented enough that USC takes your commitment early and then Deion Sanders flips you, you're a very Talented guy. No matter what you think of Deion Sanders as a coach, personality, whatever, if that guy identifies a skilled guy as being really good, I worked with the guy for almost a decade with the Under Armour game, Prime 21 camps. Deion knows his evaluation now. If he looked at that kid as a big-time player at either corner or wide receiver, says
0: a lot. It, Jerry, it also feels like he fits that exact mold that Texas targeted out of the portal this, this offseason. Yeah. You know, you, the quick sp- space fit, uh, quickness, uh, the, the acceleration and speed in total. He has a similar build to what Texas added as well. It feels like in a way Sarkeesian just went out to the portal before the portal really got yeah. busy for him and grabbed himself a receiver that he felt like could be a, a multi-year contributor.
3: Let me say this about Aaron Butler uh, and I, and I'm, you were talking about writing for On Texas Football this morning, uh, CJ. We've got a bunch of stuff coming out. Neither Jerry nor I actually wrote much about the Texas recruiting class because neither of us were really writing about the Texas recruiting class a month ago, when uh, a month and a half ago when uh, this all went down. And so we're going to try to unload the, the gun a little bit today and and write quite a bit about it. What I wanted to say uh, that I thought was that, that was interesting about Aaron Butler is – to CJ's point and Jerry's point, he's that quick space guy that he very much falls into the category of Ryan Niblett and DeAndre Moore for me. Mix those three together. Is there an elite one that comes out of it? Yeah. Because that's who's going to get the playing time. Sark's not going to. I don't think he's going to have, you know, 40 snaps for both of those type two, two of those types of guys. No, And so. I do think Silas Bolden will be that guy out of the gate. That that's why that's one of the pieces for me. So we'll, we'll see how it all goes. But but remember, Butler was originally recruited, and what USC liked him as, Jerry and, and CJ and Blake, was as a cornerback. Corner. Yeah, yeah, they thought he was an elite corner. Now not he didn't he didn't want to play corner, want to play receiver. So that's that's why he probably decommitted from, from USC in the first place. Yeah, and I like him as a punt returner, too. The
4: same things that if he has that same fearlessness, I'll tell you, he has the confidence. If he has that fearlessness Xavier Worthy has, he has some of the similar traits that good punt returners have. And that's that shifty, darting quickness, short space quickness, where if you miss, make one guy miss, make that second arm tackle miss or that ankle tackle miss, you can make chunk yardage plays in the punt return game. He really fits that talent. Of the high-end guys in the pump return game if he has that same fearlessness that you have to have as a pump returner.
2: Speaking of fearlessness, it's time for Jerry Hamilton to be fearless and tell us about Joy Mode.
4: Yeah, look guys, time to talk about Joy Mode, sexual performance booster. I think I speak for most men when I say we want to have better sex. Oklahoma and fans, I'm looking at you. And for the sake of our partner, we may need to have better sex. The issue is that over-the-counter erection pills contain unregulated chemicals, suggest unsafe doses, and include the risk of several other health problems. That's why we've partnered with our friends at Joy Mode. Whether you're looking to spice up your intimate moments or increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode makes all natural and science-based back supplements dedicated to helping men perform better across their core functions. The trademark product, the Sexual Performance Booster, is every man's solution for increased blood flow, firmness, stamina, and performance. It's like a pre-workout, for sex. It comes in a palm-sized packet like your favorite electrolyte powder. Simply mix six to eight ounces of water 45 minutes before sexual activity and watch the magic unfold literally. Redefine your intimacy and go to use joy mode for 20% off with code on Texas all caps. That's 20% off for free shipping code on Texas to use joy Ingredients with integrity. That's joy mode.
2: There you go. <laughs>
0: that was painless today.
2: <laughs> oh man. There was somebody, I like this comment right here, from Football Texas. <laughs> Naughty Marshals" by Jerry <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> uh, <very> uh, <laughs> okay, guys, let's get to some questions because we do have a lot of them. And uh, let's do recruiting since it's National Signing Day. E. Kim says, do you see more reclassification of football yes. recruits from 26 to 25? By the way, good morning from Rockford, Illinois. Good morning. Uh,
4: if you're not looking at it in the NIL day and age, you're making a mistake. If you're not an early enrollee and you're not a very highly ranked prospector, Ryan Williams, the Julian, Julian Lewises of the world, and you're not looking at reclassifying, you're making a mistake. That's all I got to say. Um, now, quarterbacks is interesting. Uh, because you look at Quinn, I think missing his senior year uh, was that—that that ability to be called on to be the leader of a high school team, the South Lake program, the community. I think quarterbacks can miss something very important from continued learning and leadership roles. Um, so that's something a, a quarterback has to be mindful of. Um, but I think. Look, if Ryan Williams 100% made the right decision, reclassifying from 25 to 24, you start your NIL clock, he needs a little time to develop physically. I think If I'm that guy, I make that decision 10 out of 10 times. I think if you're not, you're kind of missing the boat nowadays um, with NIL and and where college sports is.
3: I'm just going to be completely opposite. Completely opposite, Jerry. I don't think they should. I think that you're trying to – I think you're trying to accelerate something that can't be accelerated. Yeah. I think people develop over their own time frame. It, it Like it's one thing to enter a semester early, but they need, I mean, Quinn Ewers needed that leadership year at South Lake Carroll. You just talked. About yeah. I think quarterbacks it. is different for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the, the, you just had the number one quarterback in the country reclassify from 26 to 25. Yeah. At, over in Georgia. Um, I just I, I feel so differently, and I don't think there's any offensive or defensive lineman that should naturally, unless there's just some guy. I, I, never say never. There's always freaks of nature. To your point, Jerry. Right. And that may be what Ryan Williams is. To be well, well,
4: I guess the question is, what do you get as a redshirt year potentially versus playing another year of high school football? It's almost like it's almost like a basketball guy going to the G League. And get where it's you get a different preparation in football while getting paid. Let's be real. Um, is it can is can it take on a similar uh, life to that? Do you can you get more out of red shirting at some positions, building your body in a college program and developing versus dominating another year of high school football? I think outside of quarterback, it's a great discussion.
3: I, I only think you're accelerating three months though. Like, really, I mean, if if you're a midterm enrollee and you come in in June, because you know they're not going to get there before June or July. Ryan Williams is not going to be able to get all of his classes in July. First of June at Alabama. It's really going to be, he gets there July 30th and goes through December. So you're really talking about, what, four or five months? It's not like it's a whole year of, of increase. Now, you know, is the money so big that you have to consider that? maybe. Maybe with some, to yeah. your point, but I'm I, I definitely the older I get, the more, and this is maybe me being an oldie too. By the way, I I, I get that and not you know seeing the new age of, of college football, but I, the more I see it, the more I like the idea of letting guys you know grow on their own timescale. That doesn't mean do it in a way that that is uh, unmature, by the way, or immature. Like they need to get there and take advantage of it in the spring as they should, or whenever they get there. But um, I just feel like they need, they need to grow up at their own speed and, and accelerating that doesn't really do them that much favor because what's the difference of Ryan Williams spending that extra year or that extra three months in, he's not going to play much next year, Jerry. Well, that's kind of my point is if he takes as a developmental
4: year, Versus just dominating high school kids who can't really keep up with him. I, I think it's an interesting discussion or, or, or as we move more to a pro model. Yeah, I guess Like G League basketball Do you, is a year in college. The same for Ron Holland is going to the G League. I, I, I would say the G League's probably better for him than college, even though we sit here and cover college um, because he's playing against pros every day, and that's going to make him better. The question for me with a guy like Ryan Williams is, even if he doesn't play much next year, does he get better? Does he improve and develop more in that strength and conditioning program and going against future NFL draft picks at corner every day at Alabama versus going out and running past guys that run 4-7
3: in high school? Here's, well, the, here's the problem with that presumption, okay? He's going up against NFL draft picks at Alabama. He's going to be on the scout team. Right. He's going up against walk-ons. I mean, he could actually be getting reps in real games, reacting to real things, and 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 basketball is so different because, to your point, Jerry, basketball is five on five. You're always involved when you're on the when you're the third team or below at a major college. Your day to day is not about practice; it's about being in the weight room. Yeah, just you know, there is some practice elements to it but it's really about building your body and trying to learn the system
0: to get better. That's my, that's my take on it. CJ, yeah. do you have something you want to add? No, Bobby, I was going to agree with you. I think there's a, a little bit different of the, the true game value that you get out of playing a schedule, whether it be against, you know, a competition that may not be up to par as what that player brings to the table, obviously, but it is something about being in a game, understanding the, the, the concepts, understanding the game situation. You know, I think you get something from that. Uh, to Jerry's point, though, I think there is uh, a little bit something that you get more out of going against the best of the best. You know, that, but how often are you going to get that in a, in a given season if you're not necessarily, you know, on the field at the time in which you're expected to make, you know, 100 percent active live plays? So I, I see it both ways. I do think uh, quarterbacks are different to Jerry's point as well, but I would prefer to see that on-field senior season uh, in the class in which they're scheduled to be a part of just because you you get something out of that. There's, there's more game experience there. Um, we talked about the 25 games for quarterbacks to be important to go to the NFL. It's not necessarily the same, obviously, at high school, but you do get a little bit more of a sense of what situations could be like for the time in which it is time for you to go to the to, to college. Uh, somebody asked if that essentially what Jaden Blue
4: did. No, that was different. Jaden Ballou uh, essentially he just went to high school as a senior. Uh, he tried to come back as senior year and the captains on the team voted no. Um, so after he left the team, uh he, he stayed in high school and just went to Klein Kane high school. So there, there's a big difference there is he was just a high school student as a senior until
3: he graduated midterm. Uh, so totally different scenario there. Why not transfer to IMG or modern day where they do play better talent? There, here's why there's no NIL involved in that. That's right. Uh, you know, to Jerry's point, they're, they're guys like Ryan Williams are going to be worth more NIL wise by accelerating. I I get what he's saying. Quinn Ewers did it. Yes. I mean,
4: and somebody brought up in the chat and it's an interesting point because look, well, on Quinn with this, because it's a great, it's a fascinating topic because we're going to be dealing with it a lot moving forward. Quinn, would he have been the starter at Texas if he had played his senior year at Southlake? Would he have been ready versus even though he was in a college program, at least working, even though he's kind of hidden in purgatory up at Ohio State, he still practiced every day. He was still part of a college preparation program for a season. That's, say, say, that's an interesting question. I think, I, think yes. better, I think he would have had a better
3: I think he would had a better year had he finished his high, senior year at, at at uh uh South Lake Carroll because he would have had more balls thrown and he was healthy. You gotta remember that's the other thing. Health, you know, he was coming off of some health in, health issues. Yes, he, was. he needed another year of fully playing, and I think he would have accelerated at the same time, he wouldn't have had a million plus dollars in his pocket. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, this is where, you know, I, I think, I, I don't think it's going to be, I, and I will say this, I don't think it's going to be like the G league. How many guys really go to the G league? 10, 15, that are coming out? No, of but, well, a
4: little bit less, but the G league only will offer contracts to five, six, seven. So it's not like there's a lot of those. Now overtime elite league, that's kind of a boomer bust thing. You see probably 20, 30, 40 kids in that thing every year. Now, amen thompson his brother uh, amen thompson his brother they got drafted in the top 10 not every guy gets drafted in the top 10 uh, but i think that's uh so uh, to your point the pro basketball model is a little different you can also go to overtime elite and still keep college eligibility now as well
3: oh wow so they're not paying how does that work because it's just nil no, uh, yes exactly interesting wow. I, I want to say thanks to Adam Lowy uh, and the Lowy law firm being our Wednesday sponsor. Uh, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, he's got 20 plus years experience uh, helping injured Texans. So if you've been injured in a car wreck uh, or like truck, motorcycle accident, anything at all, give Adam and his group a call. If you think you might be due compensation, he and his firm do something a little special here they offer a free consultation Before you ever get started, and they'll let you know whether or not they think you might be due some compensation. Uh, Reach out to Adam at loweylawfirm.com, fill out the form, they'll give you a call or chat with you right there online as well. Again, that's loweylawfirm.com. Adam, thank you very much uh, for your ongoing sponsorship of Coffee and Football. Hey, I want to go back uh, before we finish out tonight or today, this morning. Excuse me. um, A couple of things Michigan defensive line coach Mike Elston. Uh, goes to uh the Sandy or the LA Chargers. Uh that means that more Michigan coaches have departed. Uh we've got to remember that. Jerry, you you're out in uh East Texas. You were at Zion Williams house, uh, uh Zion Williams School Lufkin uh yesterday. There's a picture of the big guy. Look at that dude. Oh, man. Man. He looks like man. uh look at those arms, Jerry.
4: Good uh, look, look, let me tell let me tell you something. He's six four. And that changed 325. Right now he'll play about 310 next year. He was 295 during the season this year. So that progression. But he is broad-shouldered, long arms. You see that big hook him That's over a 10-inch hand uh, with the hook him there. 18-shoe. And that's an 18-very wide shoe. I mean, uh, uh, big human. Big human.
3: Yep. Yeah. Uh, Texas, LSU, uh, TCU, and A&M, the thought loss there. Uh, Terry Bussey has stuck with A&M. We didn't even mention that. The athlete out of Timson chose A&M today uh, and finalized that over uh, LSU. That's a big get for the Aggies. The Longhorns will likely see him in some capacity because he is a guy that's expected to play early on November 30th, 2024. Uh, So we'll remember that one. Uh, And then also uh, the naming of Brandon Harris, uh, to the general manager's role of the recruiting department at the University of Texas. Uh, John Michael Jones also being elevated as well as Taylor Searles. And then, C.J. Vogel, you're going to be at the press conference later today uh, as well that Steve Sarkeesian gets up and talks about. Some of these moves, we think, as well as some things going forward for the Longhorns. Uh, A couple of things. Zane
4: Petty said Florida high school players can get paid NIL. I think that just went through in October uh, of this year. That was voted on inside that state. But that's that. a a guy. Say Ryan Williams. Either go to IMG or, or you go to college early, right? You're not going to get near the NIL playing in this high school football in the state of Florida at IMG as you would uh, going to college early. Now, if IMG ever gets to that point, then, you know, it's over for every other high school. I'll say that. Uh, somebody asked about uh, Marcus Harris, modern day, uh going to see Bama and getting an offer at Bama and Jordan Davis in Oregon. Look, these are these are battles. I mean, Texas is in battles. Um, For guys that are nationally recruited players, Marcus Harris has been to Tennessee uh, as well. These are some big recruiting battles. be interesting to see at wide receiver what decisions Texas makes as it gets closer to June, who they really push uh, for. But, look, concerns, look, it's recruiting. Uh, That's all I got to say. I mean, these are major national battles, um, and this is a staff that's ready for those battles, and we'll see how much they push on certain guys When we get to the
2: spring and then those june official visits all right so we got a time for just another question or two and uh, we got a super chat here from tokyo astro and thank you tokyo he says what's going on with houston area recruits why is dfw so great right now for recruiting you you know that's
4: interesting is uh and i posted on on a little bit of numbers there and I think the number is 26 from DFW in the last three classes for Texas and seven from the Houston area, which that number is a little probably not where Texas ideally wants it because A&M wiped out Houston in that 2022 class. Um, and I think Sark's addressing that. I think DFW and look, it's funny. I was at a couple of high schools recently and head had coaches in the staff, specifically one uh, in the North Houston area said, where are all the big guys in Houston? You know, he said Dallas has more big guys on the lines right now, and I think you know that is a difference right now. Uh, you know, you go walk into the DeSoto, DeSoto and Duncanville. I'm not just talking about Byron Washington, six eight three hundred pounds, right at DeSoto. Four hundred, So four hundred. Sorry, 400. <laughs> right. sorry I missed, uh, yeah, I missed. I missed by a few biscuits. Four hundred, um, but there are more. Big humans, as Sark and Flood like to call them, at Duncanville. I mean, they had unbelievable size on their offensive line the last few years. This year, maybe not as much as the last. But, you know, North Shore, which goes to state every year, they don't have nearly as many big bodies on the offensive and defensive line as they did on some of their more talented teams. I think that's this 25 class in Houston. You have better offensive line guys. You have more of those big bodies. Uh, but I think that's a major difference right now, and uh, especially along that I-20, starting Lancaster, going all the way to North Crowley, even in over and Nolito, There's just more big humans in the North than DFW right now. So the skill talent, I think, is comparable. Um, but I do think the the, uh, the the large humans, there's a big difference right now.
3: They, they took three from Houston this past year, uh, all on the north side of town. Uh, Trey Owens uh, at Fair. Uh, Jordan Washington Langham Creek and then Nate Kibble at, at Atascocita. they didn't have anybody else did they get from Houston I don't know well, that was that was it that was it yeah. in that class. but and but I looked at we were talking about this in one of the recruiting breakdowns I think it was CJ and I uh, before you came back there's actually more high level offers out right now in Houston than in previous years for Texas yes. 2020 and, and if you include Galveston County right to to your point with uh, Lamarck or not Lamarck but Texas City, as yeah. well as as Rose Ball High. And Hitchcock, who has a great yeah. run of kids right now.
4: Yeah, 25 is an uptick in, in Houston area, and I think 26 will be as well. Um, I think for, there is a run there for Dallas. And look, and it's just not football. This is what we talk about. They're dominating basketball. Just look at the playoffs. Look at the state championships. Yeah. They've dominated. And I think you've seen – and I think another part of that is I think when some of the plants – Kind of shut down in Beaumont area, Houston. A lot of those, a lot of those families with young kids move to Houston. I think East Texas has lost some population to Dallas, but that Dallas growth has been later than the Houston growth. And then you just look at where uh, people are moving into into Texas. Um, DFW is a maybe faster growing area than Houston at this point,
0: especially up north too.
4: Yeah, I mean Frisco has eleven high schools. CJ, when yeah. you graduated, how many high schools did Frisco have? Two, I mean,
0: seven. Okay, they that's were small. still pretty big. They were still big when we first moved out to Frisco. I think they only had Frisco High, right? Or Allen. Yeah,
3: eleven high schools. That's just that's like the Cypress area in Houston. Katy, they're all they're growing everywhere, guys. I, I um, you know, as we talk about that, I would add, I think that there's more top level prospects in East Texas that Texas is going after this year. Obviously, I already have the commitment from Lance Jackson, but uh, you were at Zion Williams. There's other guys in East Texas, too, Jerry, that you're going to probably go see here. Uh, th- there's going to be guys everywhere in every part of the state. I think that it is somewhat cyclical in places other than Dallas, Fort Worth right now. That would be my everywhere. Central Texas is cyclical it, other than DFW. They've been the consistent producer of high end talent. Uh, like it or not, that, that that's just – that's the that's what the, the numbers say right now. Uh,
4: uh, Britt I, I meant years ago when there was a couple of things shut down that, that there was some change going on there. That's what I was referring to. I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of what the high school coaches
3: – No, were Port Arthur about. is yeah. – it, it's not it's not so much Beaumont as
2: it's just Port Arthur. Yeah. All right, y'all. Last question for today. Too broke to pay attention says, do we think Sark will have any surprises for us today at the press conference? Not really. I any. Anybody? No, I,
0: I don't have anything off the top of my head, and I'm excited to be there in case anything does come down uh, to a little surprise. But, no, off the top of my head, I think it's going to be a pretty uh, run-of-the-mill uh, signing day as much as those can be
2: nowadays. Uh, but but nothing too crazy. All right, Bobby, before we get out of here, why don't you tell folks what they can expect later today right here on On Texas Football. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to uh,
3: – Right after the, the uh, meeting with Steve Sarkeesian that CJ has, CJ and I are going to hop on and do a little state of the program based on the recruiting uh, report there that he gets. Uh, Jerry, hopefully, will be able to join us and perhaps Rod as well. Uh, we're still working out that because we don't know exactly what Steve Sarkeesian's going to say today. That's part of it. Uh, and then also tonight we have the live stream. Uh, but more than anything today, I want you all to realize we, we're going to try to put out about 10 to 15 articles overall on ontexasfootball.com concerning this recruiting class. Uh, I'm personally working on one of whether or not Texas actually addressed its needs uh, in the 2024 recruiting class, not just getting star ranked players because it's, it's not just about having getting players. It's about putting all the jigsaw pieces together and whether or not Texas was able to do that in a way that is a top five like class. And so I'm, I'm working on that. I know CJ's working on something. Uh, And a couple of things, Jerry, as well. Uh, So please join us at ontexasfootball.com. It's free right now. Join the conversation. Have fun with us. Talk a little uh, smack. Jerry's good at that uh, in particular. Uh, So please feel free to join us on texasfootball.com.
4: And one thing, uh, somebody asked at the beginning, even before we started, I think before we got going in the comments section, asked about Fahim Delane, a 25 safety out of good counsel, there in the uh, uh, DC area, I reached out to Fahim Delane, who's ranked top 25 in the country by most people as a safety, six two hundred ninety five pounds. Somebody asked if would he visit Texas, uh, and he DM'd me back, and and I'll tell you exactly what he said. Hold on, let me get over there. But um, uh, I, I asked him, I just asked him, are you visiting Texas in March? He said most likely. So that's something that CJ and I will um, uh, will be uh, monitoring is Fahim Delane. Uh, one of the top safeties in the country, good counsel uh, there in only Maryland, uh, says there's a good chance he, he will visit Texas in March. Now, where will that go? I don't know. Ohio State's been said to be in pretty good position or uh, Oregon, Georgia. I mean, everybody's involved in this recruitment, uh, but Texas, Blake Gideon, they're making an effort there. National, uh,
2: national. Or- this is gonna do it for that edition. This edition of Coffee and Football presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. Want to thank them for sponsoring today's show, along with Joy Mode. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. As uh, Bobby said, be sure to head on over to ontexasfootball.com and check us out if you haven't already. Join the discussion, sign up, and I mean, lots of Longhorn stuff going on right now. So don't, don't miss out on the news and everything. Be sure to hit the like and subscribe button as well. If you haven't already, we would definitely appreciate that. And for Bobby, CJ and Jerry, I'm Blake Monroe and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Can't wait to see what Sark has to say, guys.